Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. <laughs> Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The game is still afoot, ladies and gentlemen, but for the vast majority of the population, this is no longer a game. It is instead a deliberate provocation of the voters, a hijacking of democracy and a pointless exercise in proroguing common sense. Remainers were cock-a-hoop yesterday at the baffling decision, uh, which happened on our show, by the way, uh, by the Court of Session in Edinburgh to declare Boris Johnson's suspension of Parliament unlawful. But Parliament remains suspended and the so-called unlawful behaviour continues. Continues. What court has previously declared something illegal, but then moved not not then moved to stop it, or told people to stop doing whatever it is that has been declared illegal? Supposedly, we're going to get a similar kind of ruling from Belfast today, uh, sometime during the next hour, we think, uh, and we'll find out whether Belfast Court goes along with the Court of Session in Edinburgh, uh, declaring it unlawful, or whether it goes along with the uh, courts down in England, the High Court, and previous courts in Scotland, which actually declared it completely political and completely legal. It's a very confusing situation. Meanwhile, the Prime Minister appears to be in a forgiving mood. He might not be handing over the contents of his mobile phone to Dominic Grieve, and why should he? But he is offering an olive branch to the 21 rebel Tory MPs who voted against the government last week and were expelled from the party. We'll find out precisely what that's all about coming up as well. No doubt there will be more twists and turns before the end of the show, and we'll bring them to you as they are happening. 0344 We're also going to have a fascinating conversation with one of the people involved in trying to work out how to build a bridge between Scotland and Northern Ireland. I kid you not, this is a fantastic idea, it's a fantastic project, and we're going to find out from uh, Professor Alan Dunlop precisely how it's going to happen. Coming up later on, we'll be discovering how we can get off this planet and onto one that's only 110 light years away, and why local councils are using more and more bailiffs to collect debts from parking tickets. You know it makes sense. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So the two big stories at the moment going on are on the front page of the Times. Prime Minister blocks key memos on shutting the Commons. Scottish court rules proroguing was unlawful. And the no-deal paper uh, suggests risks to crucial supplies. We're back in Yellowhammer world, ladies and gentlemen, would you believe? Because only a few weeks ago, the Sunday Times broke the story that Operation Yellowhammer uh, was some kind of report which painted a very nasty and ghastly picture of what life would be like following a no-deal Brexit. We were told there would be shortages of food. We were told there would be shortages of medicine. We were told that nothing would work, that all sorts of people would lose their jobs, that all sorts of businesses would go under. It turns out that this was an old report. Uh, it was roundly dismissed, and it was also described as something which was put up together as a worst-case scenario. Now, uh, I say there's nothing new uh, in these documents that have been released today and that are all over the papers, because, frankly, the Sunday Times got the best of it some time ago. So, why all the fuss? I'll tell you why all the fuss, because the people who don't want us to leave the European Union are as determined as they have ever been to ensure that we don't. And they are also as determined as they have ever been to make out that if we do, 
we will be in for a very bad time indeed. I think it's time for them to stop scaremongering. I think it's time for them to be sensible and time for them to stop arguing and using law and lawyers to try and get around the one basic fact that we know is true. And that is that we voted to leave the European Union three years ago and that's what we should be doing. We shouldn't be arguing over whether Boris Johnson has broken the law, which he clearly hasn't. We shouldn't be arguing about whether Boris Johnson was right to prorogue Parliament, which he clearly has. We should be arguing about how on earth we are going to get out of the European Union before October the 31st. Pretty straightforward stuff, isn't it? Let's talk to Dr Alan Wager. We want to hear from you, of course, as well, because you are the voice of reason out there. You are the voice of the people. We've had some great calls this week, so I'd like to take some more. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Let's talk to Dr Wager, uh, who is from, of course, uh, the UK in a changing Europe. Alan, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, very well indeed. Thanks very much for joining us once more. Now, we're expecting at any moment some kind of a, a, a judgment, I believe, from the courts over in Northern Ireland on uh, the proroguing of Parliament. I, I, I don't know. I can't say whether they're going to go down the same route as the courts of session in Edinburgh. But it seems an extraordinary state of affairs for me, for a, a court in Scotland to say that the Prime Minister has behaved in an unlawful manner and then to do nothing about it. I mean, the big judgment that really matters from now is the one on Tuesday that the UK Supreme uh, Court would be making. And yeah. it would, in a way, be relatively unprecedented for the Supreme Court to make a judgment like this in terms of what it's, what it, in terms of how it would be stretching the role that the courts are playing. But everything, everything from now until then is probably largely uh, a noise, really, as we wait for this judgment on Tuesday from the Supreme Court, the highest judge who will make the ultimate decision on, on whether or not this was illegal or not. It's fair to say most people probably probably weren't expecting the Scottish court to make the judgment that it did on Tuesday, but it, that it did. Uh, that Yesterday, sorry, but that it did, and that, that's where we are now. And it seems to have used a rather uh, old rule to do so, doesn't it? It seems to have used like some 300-year-old 300, 300 statute, uh, which was originally used to uh, uh, pass the crown uh, William of Orange to win an appeal against uh, the, the, the prorogation that happened just last week. So it's a very odd world in which we now live, where things which might be legal are deemed illegal, which things which might be illegal are not punishable by any sort of means by, 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 that we know of. And, and a, a civil court, effectively, in, in, in Edinburgh can rule on something which they say is criminal. I mean, ultimately, no matter what the courts say, this is all probably going to be a bit of a sideshow when it all comes down to so These things will have to be decided by politics, but, but, but by voters. I mean, it's going to come down to a case of whether or not people want to give Boris Johnson the, the powers that he says he needs to leave the European Union or not. And, and ultimately, these are all decisions that are going to be made by by Parliament when it comes back. I mean, it's very clear you could make the, you can make the case that, I mean, although MPs would like to be sitting right now, they did manage to achieve quite a lot of what they wanted to achieve last week when Parliament was sitting. Yeah. Well, we already we already hear, we already hear from the uh, opposition benches, right? Uh, what hypocrisy is because they they had said that they would vote uh, in favour of a general election once the bill was passed, once the Hillary Benn bill was passed, and it was clear uh, that Boris Johnson could not, in some way, prorogue Parliament uh, beyond uh, the thirty first of October and then get a No Deal going through because that's not what he's able to do now. But yet they still did not go for a general election. And I'm rather baffled as to what would happen, say, for example, next week, if the courts say that the prorogation was in fact unlawful and they all have to go back into Parliament. They've already used up the extra time that he'd added on, so they would have prorogued anyway for the conference season. And indeed, and the strategy of the opposition parties is clearly to wait until the big 
European Council meeting in the middle of October and then to go for an election after that. That's what they publicly said. So actually what what would be achieved in terms of Brexit legislation or anything like that until then, I mean, we'd be in a bit of a holding pattern. We'd still be waiting until middle middle of October for the for, for people to make their decisive moves anyway. So actually, I mean, I mean maybe they'd be asking for more news on no deal more of the information on no deal or something like that but this but is but this is my this is kind of my point alan because the one problem that we have in this whole scenario is that it's looking more and more as though those people who are against no deal brexit are basically just stalling for time. I mean, they talked about trying to make sure that Boris Johnson wasn't stalling for time, but that's precisely what they're doing. And the people in this country are sick to death of it. I had several people on the phone yesterday calling me to say how angry they were and how upset they were and how depressed they are at the fact that nothing is happening because it's actively being stopped. Yeah, and, and, and the decisions, obviously, to... They, these, these MPs, the opposition MPs, think that it's going to be... Uh, electorally beneficial for these for these for these parties to wait and to wait until the middle of October to show that Boris Johnson can't get it through on his own, and then that splits the the Brexit party the Brexit party vote if you like. But I mean, it's still a big risk. People are people are confused by the fact there isn't going to be an election held, and you know, and it, it's, it's full of risk because over the next month or so, Boris Johnson can do any number of things to make his position stronger. He can make a whole series of interventions. He could do a whole load of speeches saying what his government would be like. When you're in government, you have a lot more power than when you're in opposition. So it's a big risk letting, the, letting Boris Johnson, giving him a free reign over the next month to make his case to the people, to the, to the British public before an election even formally starts. So yeah. Huge high stakes here for both parties. Well, they are really, but as I say, the people are the ones who are suffering through all of this because what it appears to now be uh, is a sort of fight to the death between people who have read an awful lot of law books and politicians who are trying to get something done that was actually voted for democratically by this country. I mean, I, I don't think it's a good idea for, 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 for anyone that's, that, that supports remaining in the European Union to try and fight this battle primarily through the courts. No. That's just not going to produce any stable outcome for, for the country at all. I mean, I mean, one of the charges that's often made of people that are, uh, that are remain supporters is they don't actually think about what would ha how they're going to get to the end point of what they want, which is remaining in the European Union. They're always fighting a sort of the battle that's in front of them, the court battle, whatever. If, if you want to have a stable situation, the UK being a properly European country in the European Union, get, getting that through going to court isn't going to get you there. Well, exactly right. They have to persuade people, and people are not persuaded, because what we have seen uh, is that we've got uh, the, the, the people who lose elections claiming they've won them, the people who want to stay in the European Union despite a vote calling for another vote, um, which will probably inevitably lead to the same result and the same conclusion. I mean, uh, it, I mean, it, who would win it? It's, uh, I, I mean, is, is any anyone's guess if there was if there was a round two? Be, uh, but, but in the election right now, what's about to, the election that's about to happen? It's clear that one of the big drawing, one of the big divides that both parties are looking for is on the one hand, Boris is saying we're we're sticking up for Brexit voters and we are sticking up for the people. On the other hand, uh, the other remain part, the remain parties um, are, are now saying that Boris Johnson isn't abiding by the rule of law, and they want to paint him as someone that's not trustworthy and doesn't abide by the law, and you can't trust what he says on the economy as well as on Brexit because he's not someone that's a trustworthy character. So that's, those are the two... That's the, both sides are clearly looking at the electorate and trying to and trying to frame how an election happens in the next couple of months. Also, isn't it funny, isn't it funny as well, though, Alan, how they say that the government can't be trusted, the government tells lies, the government is absolutely and utterly duplicitous in all matters. However, here's a report they produced, uh, which is absolutely the gospel truth. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I guess, I, I guess there's, certain, there's, a, there's a certain irony in that. Well, I mean, I mean, there's, there's two things to say about that that report. The first thing is they. It's not all. It's not all the information that we could have got from these documents. Clearly, there's more than four pages of work being done by the government on this. And but on the other hand, they're not because they're not releasing everything. We're not actually hearing about some of the things that they are planning to do to to um, to sort these issues out. So actually, what the four-page document shows the whole series of things that problems that could happen. But if they'd actually been more on, they'd actually just released everything, including some more of the details. Maybe we'd have been able to see some of the things that actually the government is doing behind the scenes to mitigate some of these problems, to try and make them right. less, less difficult. Well, I mean, it. somebody actually very smartly on Twitter put out a tweet with a picture of one of those airline warnings, you know, the laminated stickers that you find in the back of the uh, of the seat, which tell you what to do in the event of a crash. And they say, well, that doesn't stop you getting on the plane and flying on it, does it? <laughs> no, no, that's correct. That's uh, one thing that's worth remembering and, uh, is that, I mean... The UK government and the and the civil service. I mean, I mean, they've been bashed a, a bit maybe over the last few years, but they are very good at, at preparing for uh, things like uh, the sort of the t- stuff that people are talking about about medicines, right? There's been a lot of money pumped into that to make sure it works on time if it if it came to it. And the UK state is generally pretty well prepared and pretty good at pretty good at working out what to do in situations like that. That's yeah. not to say there won't be any problems, but actually, it's to say that that the UK. It is a relatively rich country. It's able to make take the steps and be prepared enough that things won't, on day one, necessarily be as bad as some people are saying. But I mean, there's still a whole lot, there's still things in that in this you know, report that are that are definitely uncomfortable and difficult for the government. For sure. But they also say that it's now uh, a several weeks old report, which was produced at a different time. And since that report was produced, it has now been worked upon, which is what it was produced for in the first place, so that they would have mitigated quite a lot of the things that were being projected. Yeah, well, we're not clear on whether it's a base case scenario, a.k.a. more, you know, roughly what we're expecting, or whether it's a worst case scenario actually the government have been pretty unclear on that some day sunday telegraph uh, sunday times journalists uh, about a month or so ago they got they got this leak a month ago so anyway saying nothing new well there isn't anything new in it that's right that's we've already well, seen yeah. it before yeah exactly. all of it all of it stuff that, that has already been uh seen it was leaked in full to the sunday times about a month ago or apart from one section apart from the headings where they where the journalists that it was leaked to says that it was uh, described as a base case scenario, whereas now it's changed to a reasonably worse case scenario. So, I mean, that, this is all just a sort of semantic. This is just a playing around with words. But it's whether or not this is, this is the most likely outcome or something to prepare for. That's really that's, that's the question that people need to ask the government today, I think. What, yeah. what, what, what is this document actually saying? Yes, exactly right. Thank you very much indeed. Dr Alan Wager there from the uh, UK in a Changing Europe organisation. Actually, we had somebody from his organisation on in the tent, I think, a couple of weeks ago. They'd done their own projections for what might be the worst-case scenario, and it wasn't anywhere near as bad as Operation Yellowhammer. Uh, which is, by the way, actually a bird. As I said to uh, Julie Hartley Brewer, I'm going to try and get one organised so that we can buy one from a pet shop, if there is such a thing, and I'm going to set one free uh, from the rooftop of uh, our building here at News UK. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We've got lots to do. We want to hear from loads of you as well. This is Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far (laughs) enough. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk radio. Oh, what a thing to have done. And it was all yellow. 
anybody spots a yellow hammer, I want you to get in touch with me immediately because uh, it could be a lucky omen of some kind, OK? 0344-499-1000. I'm pretty sure uh, there's plenty of songs that have got yellow in them and plenty of songs that have got hammer in them, but I bet you can't think of one that's got rubber in it because we're now calling it Operation Rubber Hammer, which I think is a great name, basically, for something which is entirely ridiculous. Alan has uh, tweeted me uh, and sent me an actual interview that's being uh, pre presented by Karen Wheeler, former Director General of HM Revenue and Customs, and he's tweet says, uh, this uh, Hillary Benn shared this interview where the woman who supplied the data for Yellowhammer explained why it wouldn't be anything like this, yet he's still peddling out scaremongering stories. Well, that's absolutely right. Everybody knows that governments have to draw up worst-case scenarios. They also want to draft good-case scenarios as well, best-case scenarios. And in fact, I've got another tweet here as well. Uh, I've got another tweet here as well uh, to say to say to um, uh, to everybody out there who's feeling as if they're being beaten about the head. What about the best-case scenario, uh, says Leon? Uh, why don't we have that one discussed? Well, I'd like to know what that is. I'll tell you what we can do, though, is talk to Alan Dunlop, uh, who is Visiting Professor of Architecture at Robert Gordon University and Liverpool University, of course, uh, because he is a man who's drawn up the plans for the possible bridge from Scotland into Northern Ireland. Alan, a very good morning to you. Yeah, good morning to you too. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. This is a fantastic project. This I love the look of this because I lived in uh, the west coast of uh, or, the, or the west of uh, Scotland for quite some time. Um, it's sort of my, my parents' homeland as well. And it would be wonderful if you could build a bridge, but a lot of people are saying it can't be done. Sadly, it's been mixed up with the politics at the moment. Um, I, I'm absolutely. I've been working on this for 20 months since the story first broke in right. January 2018. I've got absolutely no doubt that it can be done. What we need, though, is, is a serious feasibility study to look at the, you know, the whole infrastructure and the engineering and the architectural challenges of it. But uh, I've got no doubt, I actually haven't studied it for 20 months now, that it can be done. Yeah. And what is it that us people are saying are going to make it much more difficult? Because, I mean, we've seen, have we not, over the course of time, I mean, the Golden Gate Bridge, if you looked at that probably many, many years ago, you would have said that couldn't be built either. The Humber Bridge couldn't be built. All sorts of massive structures that have actually gone up, you would say from looking at it before it was done, oh, you've got no chance of getting that to put up. There has always been naysayers everywhere. You can't do that. And somehow, somehow the human spirit and human ingenuity always seems to overcome that and problems that are insurmountable at the start can be overcome. And there are precedents throughout the world, particularly in places like China and Norway, where bridges have been... China has just completed a 34-mile sea bridge which is built to withstand typhoons. So right. one of the criticisms, for instance is the, you know, the weather and the, the sea and the North Irish Sea. Yeah. Well, it would be a challenge, but it's a challenge that can be overcome. And where would you actually build it to and from, do you reckon? I'm looking at a little map here that looks like it would go from Port Patrick, which is down sort of Stranraway, isn't it? Yes, it is. One from Port Patrick to Larne, and the other one is from uh, the Mull of Kintyre over to Torhead. Right. The problem, I suppose, with the one at the Mull of Kintyre is it's quite hard to get to the Mull of Kintyre, isn't it? I mean, if you were looking to maybe move a lot of haulage that way... Well, there is. I mean, the, 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 the Mullock Tyre route would not be beneficial, for instance, to the north of Ireland. But there are studies which have looked at uh, reworking parts of the Cowell Peninsula, for instance, through Argyll, which would make the journey from that area right through into Scotland's central belt much easier indeed. So there is, there is a, at the moment, it would be very difficult, but there is a proposition to, 
to shortcut that whole proposal to make that workable too. Right. And also, of course, we are famously very slow at building anything, aren't we? I mean, over in China, where they've now built one, I think it's 102 miles long. Yeah, they kind well, of it does they... help in China. It's a dictatorship. <laughs> well, yes, indeed. Well, apparently, so are we. Well, hang on. If you talk to, but, uh, talk to a few... No, we, we, we seem to lack a kind of ambition that... Uh, that uh, other countries seem to have. I mean, Norman Foster, a great uh, uh, British architect, has just completed the Milo Viaduct crossing over the River Term with towers higher than the Eiffel Tower. So the French have real ambition about doing something which is incredible, and uh, both architecturally and engineering-wise, but it also promotes the country as a forward-thinking and, and forward-looking country itself. Sure. But how long would you expect it to take to build something like this if, if you got the go-ahead? Well, I calculated 10 years it would take to do it, okay. maybe even shorter than that, maybe a bit longer. Uh, but 10 years would seem to me to be the, 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 the time it would take to do the necessary infrastructure and create the bridge. Yes. And we were talking earlier about haulage and stuff, and one of the things that you've said before uh, is that, in fact, the, the number of trips that many hauliers have to make on ferries would become suddenly much cheaper if you could go on a bridge. Yeah, well, the journey from uh, Atlantic and Rhine is, uh, you know, £300 per car and £600. Is it really? Yes, it is, and, and every time for an HGV. So HGVs are making a, a real number of journeys across uh, the IDC every mm. year. So, I mean, one of the criticisms has been the economics don't work out, but when you take into account how much the HGV guys are paying to cross over by ferry, I'm sure that, I mean... Uh, I'm an architect, I'm not an economist, but I'm sure that, uh, you know, it begins to stack up more favourably. Yes, well, I mean, don't worry. Um, there's plenty of people doing jobs at the moment in this government who are not particularly expert in anything, so I wouldn't worry too much about what your area of expertise is. Right, one, of the, okay. one of the interesting things, I think, uh, that, that we'll, we'll find, though, is that apparently going across the Irish Sea, there's a whole load of nasty stuff which apparently was dumped there uh, over the course of time since the Second World War, including mustard gas, sarin nerve agent. Uh, we've got apparently a 30-mile-long trench known as Beaufort's Dyke, which has also maybe got some nuclear waste in it. Well, I, I don't know about nuclear waste, but there are challenges, one of which is Beaufort's Dyke. The bridge would, from, from Port Patrick to Larm and cross to the north of Beaufort's Dyke, where it wouldn't, wouldn't be quite so deep. But there are bridges, for instance, in Norway that span over fjords which are 500 metres deep and a kind of floating bridge system. So there is possible, engineering-wise and architectural-wise, to actually do the thing. Yeah. What I find that's interesting about Beaufort Dyke in particular is not the challenges of crossing it by bridge and is what on earth are we doing allowing a, 30, a 300 metre deep trench full of ordnance for the First and Second World War so close to one of our nuclear bases? That's a question that no one has ever raised. Well, and that's another challenge that's actually going to perhaps come out with this. What do we do with such a system that's actually in operation so close to our coastline? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tantamount to what they used to do in Victorian times and they used to sort of pump sewage into the sea just on a pipe coming out through the beach. Well, it yes, seems exactly. extraordinary. And I find that interesting is in all this discussion about whether we should do this or not are the challenges to actually go over Beaufort's Dyke. And no one's actually mentioned what on earth are we doing allowing uh, an ordnance-filled trench so close to, to the coastline. But uh, anyway, that's a, that's a problem and that's a question for another day, I guess. Um, well, I, I would guess so. Well, listen, fantastic uh, talking to you, uh, Alan. And uh, I'd like to say uh, it'd be, be great if we could get this working. I don't know what we can do to make it work, but anything we can do, we'll be happy to, to, to jog it along. 
Well, thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. Okay. Very good. Alan Dunlop there, Professor of Architecture, uh, talking about his plan to build a bridge from Scotland to Northern Ireland. It can be done, he says. Don't worry about these naysayers who are constantly telling us things that we can't do. I've said this many times before, the Romania side of this argument is very quickly turning into uh, the sort of people that were flat earthers, the sort of people that said, no, don't go over the horizon, you'll fall off the cliff. You'll end up somewhere in hell. There is no round world, the world is flat. This is the kind of people we're dealing with. These are the kind of idiots who think they're cleverer than everybody else, but actually they're more dense than almost anyone I've ever met. 0344 499 1000. More on Operation Rubber Hammer coming up. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com More gun talk from a water pistol from the Farmer of Fury. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000. Ian Collins is here uh, in for Matthew Wright again at one o'clock alongside Kevin O'Sullivan. Uh, we've got lots, lots more to do uh, and not that much time to do it. It's almost midday already. What we have heard this morning uh, is that the Belfast Court has dismissed a legal uh, application to suggest that uh, Boris Johnson and the British government's uh, Brexit strategy is going to harm uh, the Good Friday Agreement and uh, settlements made previously in Northern Ireland. That case has been been thrown out basically uh, so I wonder whether all the Ramonas are now going to say uh, that in somehow the judges have been tainted in Northern Ireland let's talk to uh, uh, Ken who's in Luton hello Ken morning Mike morning sir how are you doing I've got two points to make Mike okay the first one is that the Queen get three privy councillors go up and ask her to sign the parole form she wouldn't have her own advisors and she wouldn't ask any questions without signing it. Mm. 
Do you think she's that dumb? She certainly is not. And Boris Johnson, by the way, has already come out today and said that he did not uh, in any way lie to the Queen or mislead her in any way. No, that's right. Now, Joanne Cherry stood outside at the courts yesterday and said the judges ruled on the constitutional uh, norm. Right. Well, what's normal about allowing Burko to allow backbenchers take control of Parliament and get a bill through saying we can't leave without no deal? Right. Well, you're absolutely right. It's also not normal to clap or applaud in the Houses of Parliament. It's also not normal to sit on the benches singing, attempting to occupy them. It's also not normal to sit on the speaker uh, and attempt to stop him from moving. I think the trouble is, Mike, is that the Remain lot have got so many people behind them, like Blair, Campbell, all them people that put that dodgy dossier together are in there telling us, telling us we made a mistake. Eh? Yeah, I know. State did they make? Well, they keep making them. That's the trouble, Ken. Thanks very much indeed for your call. We'll take more of your calls coming up. Uh, and in the next hour, of course, we're going to be talking about the young, the youth of this country. Because apparently you're not really properly grown up these days until you get to 26. I can tell you something about that. Uh, there are plenty of 26-year-olds that I know that aren't grown up at all. Let's talk to Greg Smy of Rumsby, though, because uh, apparently we've discovered a new planet. Greg, very good uh, morning to you. You are, of course, from astronomynow.com. Indeed, yeah. So, so, tell us about this new planet, which has a rather unlikely and, and rather sort of technical name. It's 110 light years away. Yes, that's right. It, 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 they, astronomers aren't good at naming things, to be perfectly honest, and they, they tend to sort of categorise things more than name them. But it's called K2 and then 18B. Wouldn't it be nice if it was called Derek or something? Well, but I was going to suggest Yellowhammer, since that's the kind of word <laughs> of the day. <laughs> let's, let's call it that. But then it might be so very it, dangerous, water, though. It might be a very dangerous planet. No, well, it might be dangerous, but uh, Professor Giovanna... Tinetti uh, has, uh, for, for the first time ever, we've discovered water on a world orbiting a distant star. Right. I mean, there's suggestions of water, but this is the first time it's actually been detected and that the planet is more in what we call the habitable zone. Okay. In other words, if water exists on its surface, it should be in its liquid form. So, hey, presto, we do have a planet in the habitable zone. It does have water in its uh, atmosphere, and therefore, if it might be on the ground, if there is a ground, uh, then it will be in its liquid form, and that's no. really important for carbon-based life. So that's does that mean that, it, that could, there could be a sea of some kind, or rivers or something? Yeah, there, there may be a sea. It, it's considerably bigger uh, and more massive than the Earth. We, we tend to call it a mini-Neptune than a, a sort of an Earth-like world or Earth-similar world. Uh, and so we have to be very, very hedgy about exactly what is being described here. But the most fundamental thing is for the first time on a planet orbiting a distant star, we've actually been able to detect the signature of water. Now, I'm looking at the front page of the Daily Telegraph here, which, which appears to have a picture on it. Is that an actual... That's not an actual picture of the planet. No, though. not at all. We can't see these worlds. We can only detect them. Uh, we, we well, why have they done a great big picture on the front that makes us all think <laughs> that it's the planet? Artists, artists are great at uh, sort of interpreting what the scientists have discovered. But no, no, we haven't got a picture of this thing. We haven't even got a tiny 
teeny weeny one pixel image of it. Uh, these things are detected. They're not they're not actually seen. Oh, I see. Uh, they're way too small and 110 light years away is just far too far away. In fact, you wouldn't see the sun as a star at 110 light years. That goes to show you how far wow. light years are. I'm yes, happy, I'm happy to report to you, um, though, Greg, that the Times has taken a far more sort of um, a responsible attitude towards this, and they've done a little graphic in which it says uh, that the gravity on this planet is 1.5 G, which is about 50% more than us. Yes. You don't want to go there if you want to go on a diet because you'd just be way more. Really? Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there are issues to do with worlds that have more gravity, you know, because they they hold on to their primordial gases more, uh, assuming, of course, they're not going to be intimidated by their star, which in this particular case, it's not because the star is tiny. It's what we call a red dwarf. It's a tiny little star. And unfortunately, with red dwarfs, they have attitude problems. They, they tend to kick off and start spitting out radiation <laughs> on an irregular basis, then they're very grumpy uh, stars, actually. Yes. They're not like our sun, which is nice and well-behaved. Yes, and it gives life, basically. What about, so is one and a half Gs, does that mean it's harder to walk on that sort of Oh, yeah, yeah, everything. Well? And, and the, 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 the mountains will be more squashed to the surface if it has mountains. But the suggestion is that the atmosphere is very bulky, in other words, much more pressurised yes. and much fuller than the atmosphere of the Earth. It's more, more like a Neptune. And it's a lot hotter, isn't it? Average temperature, 40 degrees centigrade compared to ours, which is only 15. Yes, absolutely. Although with the wildfires in Australia, you would believe otherwise. Uh, yes, indeed, the average temperature is warmer. It is, it is close to its parent star. It, it would have to be. And we're not even sure whether it spins. So we don't even know whether it's locked. In other words, it keeps the same face pointing towards its star. Uh, but we will find that out. We're going to find out lots of details about this new world in, in the not-too-distant future. And we're getting this information how exactly? Okay, so this is uh, watching the star wobble, uh, but you can't actually see the star wobble, but you, you measure the light from the star, and as it moves very slightly away from us, as it wobbles, uh, the light is stretched, and then as it uh, sort of wobbles towards us, the light is compressed. So as a result, if it was sound, you'd hear it go, but scientists are more sophisticated than that. They, they're, they're, that's basically the lead violin in an orchestra. But we can actually hear now the timpani, we can hear the piccolos, we can hear the trombones, we can hear all the instruments these days. We've got very, very sophisticated measuring equipment. So, And we can discover planets by watching them literally eclipse the star, but they're rarer because mm. the alignment has to be perfect. But yeah, there are ways of doing it. Tremendous. You're literally like a one-man Perrier award. These are awards <laughs> that we give out uh, at the end of the week for fantastic uh, appearances and things said on the radio, which I'm almost certain you're going to win tomorrow. I've heard of jar wobble, but I've never heard of star wobble. Oh, they, they do wobble. Our star wobbles. The sun wobbles because Does Jupiter pulls... Yeah, it pulls it around, absolutely. And although we can't see the planets, we can actually sort of measure the wobble of a star due to the planets in orbit around it. OK. And will we ever see any kind of image, do you think, from... from oh, from, from... yes. Now you're treading on the doorstep of what is possible. That's what we do here at the Independent Republic. Uh, absolutely. But the James Webb Space Telescope, long time in the making, a little bit overdue when it was supposed to be launched. But when it will be launched, hopefully 21, 22, something like that, uh, we'll, we'll be able to see some of these planets. Not all, but some. Some are way too small. Uh, but yet yeah, it'll see some. And because of that, we will see the light and the light can be put through a spectroscope. We'll split the light up into its colours. And with very, very high precision spectrometers, we'll be able to pull up part the 
the chemistry, the precise chemistry of these atmospheres. But there are other missions as well. There's Ariel, which is going to be launched in maybe 10 years, and that'll be a fantastically very sophisticated instrument. And all we're going to even know the names and addresses of the aliens on those ones. But of course, as we know, the Earth is ending, uh, according to Extinction Rebellion, in 2030. We might not be able to see it before then. Yeah, well, anyway, there's all these theories. <laughs> I, don't, I don't hold with them particularly. Apparently, we're leaving Europe. I don't know whether we hold with that. Well, you say we're leaving we'll Europe, see. but I'd like to see you tell me that on November the 1st. And obviously, after Operation Yellowhammer has finished with us, you know, we'll be back to the Stone Age, for heaven's sake. Uh, I'm sure we will. It's delightful to, to talk time. to you, Greg, as ever. Thank you very much indeed. Greg Smy Rumsby, what a tremendous guest he is. I love talking to him because he gives you, fills you full of wonder. He makes you want to learn more about the world around us. I mean, imagine the size of this planet, right? K2-18b. It looks about sort of six or seven times the size of, uh, of planet Earth, which is hard to imagine. Uh, it is 110 light years away from us. Now, Mars which you'd have to think is too far away at the moment to even go and visit, is four light minutes away. This is 110 light years. That's extraordinary, isn't it? It's even further than trying to build a bridge from Scotland to Northern Ireland. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I'm delighted to say that joining me in the studio uh, is our very own Johnny Seifert, who is, of course, showbiz editor here at Talk Radio, sometimes known as Johnny Showbiz. Good morning, Mike. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you feeling? Well, I'm still thinking it's the morning at the moment. Yes, I see that. Um, have you had a busy morning? It's been a very, very busy Tell morning. Tell us what you've done this morning. I had breakfast. Uh-huh. What did you have? I had porridge. Porridge, very good. Healthy. I uh, Anything some, in it? Uh, no, plain. I'm on a diet. And then I read a newspaper and... Yeah, anyway, so, uh, yeah, that's about it so okay. far. Okay. Well, the study we've got here, right, uh, has been done by the National Citizen Service Trust Board, uh, and they basically said that you don't feel truly independent until the age of 26. Now, you are 26, aren't you? I am 26. Do you feel truly independent? I would say, it's an interesting one, about dependent or as an adult, because I would say when I turned 25, I started thinking about consequences. Did you? So, so the way I look at social media, the way I act, the way... I portray myself to colleagues, to friends. Mm. So to me, that's quite adult, to actually think about consequences. But being dependent is really different. And I think you're only really dependent when you've actually got a child and you're actually responsible for someone else but yourself. Right, OK. Because they've got actually a list of 50 things here, that ways you can tell whether or not you are in fact independent. One of them is moving out of your parents' home, which I think you did quite recently. I've Well, I've bought the flat. That is there. Right. That exists. I've got the keys. Right. I haven't, oh, haven't, I haven't actually moved in yet because it's so expensive. So the reason I bought a flat mm. was that it was an investment. Right. So now my money is invested into bricks and actually that flat is going up in value all the time. So mm. when I bought it, by a week later, it had already gone up by right. £5,000. Right. Uh, quite a lot think, of people would say you're quite fortunate in as much as being able to buy a property at your age because a lot of people, especially in London, couldn't afford to do that. It's a lot about peer pressure as well. I mean, the the the, the bubble that I hang out in the uh, the northwest London bubble, where all my friends have moved out, and a lot of them have had help. Right. Uh, I had a little bit of help as well, but it's very much a peer pressure thing of you should be moving out right now. But okay. actually, it's very very expensive to do. So, mm. um, although I've got the flat and I'm buying furniture at the moment, I don't really want to move in till about January time, and I've actually got enough savings yeah. for bills. And also, being freelance, 
you never know when your job's going to come to an end. And then you go, well, how am I actually supposed to afford sure. a mortgage now? Exactly. And also because when you're in a flat or you've bought a property, suddenly everything becomes more expensive. You know, everything you need to have done, if there's a problem that you need a plumber for or there's a problem that you need an electrician for or something like that, everything that you then do costs you more money. Everything. Yeah. Everything. Everything and even just the bills, you know, I've always only ever paid a gym membership and my car. Now, suddenly, I need to start paying for food, for electricity, for mm. water, and that's all just oh, can you give us another 20 quid? Oh, that this thing's 100 pounds, and you just pay it, yeah. and you don't even think about what you're actually paying. I discovered for. that when I first bought a house, um, properly, really, in this country, um, and everything that needed to be done to it, whether it was chopping a tree down or getting something fixed in the stove area or getting something, um, you know, some, some drain. Everything was about 300 quid, no oh, matter what it was. Every time anybody turned up, they'd go, oh, well, that'd be about 300 quid. And also, they go, right, it's going to be really cheap to do. So I bought a sofa on the weekend. So I bought the sofa and they went, right, do you want some care on it for five years? Oh, do you want some glider yeah. so it doesn't ruin the thing? Yeah. It's like, Right, so the actual fee was this amount, and now you've now charged me an extra £600 for all these little extra things. You could have said no, of course. One of the things here, uh, number 27, ways you can tell that you are independent, having no problem saying no to people. I got asked to do this interview. I couldn't say no. There you go. Well, so, so no, I've, I failed on that one. OK. How, and now, you said you own a car, so I'm not going to ask you. What about making your own dinner? Yes, that's the only thing I can do. I can cook. And I've been cooking since I was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. I love cooking. So I cook my dinner. I cook my family dinner. I'll do, I've done dinner parties for 30 people. Have you? Yeah. So what's your signature dish then? Uh, if I'm one? doing a dinner party, I like doing a, a big salad, salad buffet. So I'll do a schnitzel each for each person uh -huh. and then lots of different types of salads. Okay. But I do a very good really sour chicken and a very good roast dinner. Oh, do you? Okay. Because cooking a roast dinner is one here. How about this? You'll need to know this one. Reading a gas or electricity meter. No, because I've got someone to do that for me. <laughs> I, see, I refuse to do stuff like that. You know, I'm it's always too getting, confusing. Well, I mean, I just, I just haven't got time. I send my kids to do it. You know, it's not for me. How about mowing the lawn? Uh, no, we've got a gardener. Who comes to do that? The problem is, I've been brought up quite nicely, so we've always had a so gardener and a cleaner, so I've never really had so, to get So that doing area. your own washing, then, is not really an, an issue for you? Right, Have so... Have you got somebody that comes and takes it away and brings it back all folded for you? No, but I know a lot of people who do. I'm, I'm, I will be taking my clothes home to my mum every week, and in return, I get, no I'm get. i going to cook the Friday night dinner for my family. No, that's no good. You can't... Why haven't you got a washing machine? I've got a washing machine. Well, why would you take your clothes home? I'm not gonna, it's too much effort. And also, it's money as so well. So you don't actually want to be independent then? I don't want to do my washing, but I will do the cooking. That's my forte is the cooking, not the washing. How about putting up a tent? Uh, I was a <laughs> cub scout and I was a scout and Were I was you? a beaver. Um, I left the scouts because it was clashing with EastEnders when it moved to Monday nights at 8pm. <laughs> that is not even a lie. Um, Doesn't sound like you were terribly dedicated. So, no, I cannot put up a tent. OK. Do you know what my advice would be to you? There's a shop not very far from uh, where I am in London uh, called the Cathlon, where you can buy a tent which basically just pops open and you don't have to put it up. It's, it's already up. As soon as you take it out of its, uh, of its zipper... Uh, it just erects Yeah, but itself. the problem with that, and the same with the sleeping bag... Try is, putting it away again, though. I was going to say, trying to put a sleeping bag away again, I remember when I was a scout, trying to put a sleeping bag, it would just not, never go, and I was like, how does it end but up... But just do what they do in Glastonbury, you just leave it there. Just just leave it. And I took, it spend a night in it and leave it. I took it home as it was and just gave it to my mum today. She managed to do it. Okay. How about this, navigating public transport alone? Yeah, and you I think... You do most things alone, don't you? I do a lot alone. Um, in private and in public. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, 
get the thing is when you live in London and the London Underground is so big wherever you it go is. in the world so Paris for example has got I think four train lines you can easily manipulate same as in New York yeah. because you're so used to the London trains I couldn't do buses but um, also the phones tell you what to do and where to do it so okay. I can navigate alone you yeah. can I've got a question that's come in which is not on the list okay uh, when you have kids of your own will you do their washing definitely not so why do you expect your mother to do yours because I will be doing the cooking. I'm busy in the kitchen. That's not fair. I don't think that's... What about having a credit card? You uh, must have a credit rating if you've got a mortgage. Uh, I do have a credit rating because it's based on my car because I've been paying my car for years. Um, I got offered a credit card and I declined it because I don't... The thing about a credit card, and this is a really interesting point and, and uh, a serious point, is that to have a credit card means that you're going to have to pay back what you're putting on it. But again, that you need to think about, about the money. So I'd rather have everything on my debit so card you don't trust so yourself, I know what's coming. Not that I don't trust myself, it's the security of actually knowing that I can pay it back and that I've got the money available. Because it's easy to forget that you've got a credit card to be paying off at the exact same time. I've got a tweet here from Bob who says, you sound like you're overprivileged. Wow. What do you make of that? Well, he's a middle-class you know. North London boy. I mean, what do you expect? One final one, OK. Um... Being confident at taking on any task without help. Now, you produce a show here, don't you? I do produce this a show This is your here. chance to plug it. Uh, please listen to the Badass Women's Hour XL, Saturday night, 7 o'clock to 10pm. Uh, Mike's obviously knows Harriet Minter, our main host, very, very Big well. Big friend of mine, Harriet. Big friend of mine. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a very good show, which you should listen to. And also, if anyone wants to be... If there's any girls listening that want to be my girlfriend, although I can't do the washing, um, oh, I'm you available. Can't, you can't use this show as some kind of pimping exercise. Oh, look, I need to get anything I can get, really. Right. Um, I'll yeah. keep, I can introduce you to a couple of people. Thank you. Like. you. Yes, please. All right. Johnny, thank you very much indeed. I am going to give you marks out of ten. I'm going to give you eight out of ten for your uh, interview. But I'm also going to say I don't believe that you are truly independent. I think you'll have to wait until you're 27. Uh, that's in a month's time. 2nd of November's my birthday. Is Do you want to get me a present? Yeah. I'll get you out of Europe. How about that? Thank you very much. No problem at all. Johnny Showbiz, Johnny Seifert, listen to the Badass Women's Hour. He's producing it on Saturday night at 7 o'clock. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.